Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Uh, have you got your Bibles, guys? Come to the book of John, chapter 13. Who's been loving this new se- this series? This series has been fantastic. I've really loved the book of John and, um, and just how we've been sort of working our way incrementally through it. And, you know, some of the messages we've heard have been fantastic, especially those ones in church at home where we've been able to sit and discuss and talk and pray together. Um, I get really excited about the level of discipleship that we're seeing in the church now and the shift that's come and the change that's come with the church at home structure um, I think for us as a church has is, is been gold. So um, thanks for being a part of that and, and to really, you know, jumping on board. And, you know, COVID was one of those funny seasons coming out of that. We pivoted to this structure that we're in, but it seems to really be working for us at the moment. And, um, you know, the testimonies we've had over the last few few fortnights about just the impact that's having on our life and Kat and Jason last week sharing about how they how they love, um, love it and have, have been open to a whole new way of doing church. Um, it's my firm belief that coming out of the season we've been in, we shouldn't just do things the same way we've done them because that's how we've always done them. We should be listening to the voice of God and following His direction on what He wants us to do. Um, and for every, everywhere will be different. But for us, this is working and uh, we're going to continue in this, this, uh, this pattern um, because I think it's been good for us. Anyway, so Book of John, chapter 13. Let's come all the way down to verse 34, which should be coming up on the screen. Um, There's a lot in this chapter, and obviously, you know, from week to week when we've been sharing, we really can't pull it all apart. So we try to pull something out that we feel like God's going to really want to speak to us about. And, uh, you know, when I first read chapter 13, like a fortnight ago, I sat down, I I'll have a look at this and read it. This, uh, these couple of passages here, this, these two verses here really jumped out at me as something that was really important for us as disciples, right? Because we don't want to be, we don't want to just be Christians like, and say, yes, we're believers of Jesus, but we actually want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be people that identify as disciples of Jesus. And, uh, and, and this verse really helps us see, I guess, um, Jesus really sums up, well, what does a disciple actually look like? What is a hallmark sign of what a disciple is? If we had to bring it all down to one kind of word or one kind of phrase, what would that phrase be that would make up who a disciple is and what do they look like and how do they act and how do they respond to things and how do they interact together? And I think this verse really helps us see what a disciple is meant to be. And so let's read it. It says, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see clearly in this passage that um, the hallmark, if you like, of, of a Christian, of, of a disciple's life, sorry, is love. Now, we're not talking about an emotional love. We're not talking about a love that's, that's all based out of feeling. 
Okay, that, that is a love and there is a love that we do express with one another. But this love is a little bit different. The love that they're talking about here is, is, is a word called agape love. Now agape love is not based out of emotions, it's based out of decision. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. It's the love that Jesus expressed when He went to the cross for you and I. It was a love that made a decision. I can tell you now, Jesus... More, I would be pretty confident in saying Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. I don't think He felt that, that type of love to go, oh, I so want to go to that cross. He actually, he said, to, he said to God, look, Father, if you could take this cup away from me, that would be amazing, but your will be done. He made a decision in that moment to say, the love that I have for the people you've, invest, you've given me to care for, Father, those that you've sent me on behalf of to restore relationship with means so much more to me than my emotional position on how I feel about what needs to take place. And that's why the Bible says that, that, that for the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. That joy was not an emotional like, wow, it's amazing, woo, party. That wasn't kind of the joy. It was the joy of knowing that, that the sacrifice He was about to make was going to change everything for everybody. That His life was the pivotal point in history that would make all the difference. It was the one thing that would change everything forevermore. Jesus Christ dying on the cross changed everything for you and I. And here we are today because of that sacrifice. So this love that the Bible's talking about, it is not based out of emotion. It's based off a decision. I choose to love. I choose to love you despite all the reasons why I shouldn't or why, you know, somebody thinks I shouldn't. I choose to love you. How, do you. how do people get saved in the Kingdom of God? They don't, we don't save them, but God uses us to love people and bring them into an environment where they can meet Jesus for the first time. But it's love that paves the way. It's love that paves the way. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says, it says, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So there we see this, this love that they're talking, the way of love, the way Jesus created us to walk. It's the way Jesus walked. It was a love that was sacrificial by nature. It was a love that put itself out there. See, the predominant force of love is not emotion. The world would tell us, the predominant force of love is emotion. That if, if you feel in love, then that's good. But if you don't feel in love anymore, if you don't feel like you love that person, then leave them, walk away from them. And just, it doesn't, because, why? Because love is not there anymore. But love is not, our choices in love should not be made out of emotions. Because the reality is, one day my wife wakes up with me and she loves me. But there are days where I'm sure she finds it hard to love me out of her emotions. And it's not just me, it's your spouse as well, okay? That, that sometimes it's hard to love one another. And that's why love is not based out of emotions. A love that lasts does not come from a place of emotional love. A love that lasts is a love that comes out of the place of a decision that I'll love you even when I've got a reason not to. I'll love you even when I've got a reason not to. 
How do marriages last? The test of time. Because I choose to love you even when you are the reason not to love you. When I'm the reason not to be loved because I've been a real so-and-so. But my wife made a decision. See, that's Jeff ringing you saying, I've made a decision to love you, Wendy. (laughs) That was from the Lord then. So the predominant force behind love is not emotion. The predominant force behind love is choice. And that choice fuels relationship. That decision to keep connecting. That decision to keep coming. So the context of what Jesus is saying in this verse is not the context of how we love people in the world that aren't Christian. He's actually talking in the context of how we love one another and how that love between disciples and between Christians is a witness to those around us on what the Kingdom of Heaven is like. So he's he's saying how we love one another is seen by the world on what love really is. So being a church that wants to go out and reach the world but do it in the world's way is not what the world needs. See, the world needs contrast. So the world needs to see the contrast of truth to their lie. And the only way they will see that is when we as believers and followers of Christ love one another the way God created us to love one another. See, so we can't go out and we, we could look like the local nightclub and people will come and we could probably fill the room. We could have lights, cameras, actions. I could come up with great slogans to preach from and great titles that would work on social media. I could do all that kind of stuff and we could do all that. And we would reach people. But I do question the depth of reach we may have in someone's life. I do question whether we can really reach them for Jesus. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying that churches that go down that line don't. But what I am saying is the world needs contrast. If we give same, same, then why do they feel like they need to change? But if we give contrast, this is the point of difference. Then all of a sudden people start to go, hmm, these guys are different. And I think the greatest area we can do this in is in how we love one another. I said to someone the other day, I'm trying to think how to word this. The church doesn't need more immature Christians that don't know how to repair relationship and fix problems. Because the reality is, We have been given everything we need to restore any relationship between Christian believers. Without question, we've been given everything we need. The Bible has taught us how to use what we've been given to restore relationship. Now, I'm not saying that every single relationship should be restored. There are some relationships that are beyond that. And what needs to actually be dealt with is the condition on the inside of us that keeps, keeps us revisiting something that is unhealthy. And some of us may need help to do that. I know Wendy deals with this kind of stuff, right? And there's people that can help you deal with this thing that keeps 
pop it up every time that person's name comes up or, or that thing happens or, you know, you keep falling back into that mindset of, but, but they did this to me and they did that to me. Listen, it was wrong. It was completely wrong and it should not have happened. But let me tell you something. They're not living where you're living right now inside your heart. Actually, that person may be so far out there, not even thinking of you anymore, but yet the devil has managed to get you to keep living over this thing. And God wants to bring freedom to that. He wants to break that open. Yeah, because you know what? There have been churches that have hurt you. There have been individuals in those churches that have hurt you. There have been pastors that have hurt you. How do I know? Because I've probably hurt people in the past. To be honest, I probably have. I've probably said the wrong thing. I've probably made wrong assumptions. I was actually convicted the other day because I met up with someone and I said to him later, I said, man, I read that situation wrong and I made the wrong assumption in that. And I had to go before the Lord and repent about that because it was wrong. And I could have easily hurt that person if I'd said the wrong thing, but thankfully God gave me wisdom in that moment. Here's the thing, you can't change what happened in the past. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. It happened. And for whether it's good or bad or being restored, there's nothing you can do about that. The one thing we can do, the one thing we can do is we can come to God and we can deal with it on the inside. This, this is why I felt so convicted in my heart, this, this new era we're in as the church. And we are in a new season. Things are not what they were. And the church has changed. And I'm talking to pastors all over the places. Their churches have changed. Some pastors don't even know what to do with the church they've got because they don't understand it. I was talking to um, Vicky Simpson, who's a, a prophet that was out at Mount Annan just the other day. And she said one of the biggest things she's realised from going to different churches recently is there are some guys that have got great churches but are confused on what to do with the future of the church because they don't understand what God's doing in, the, in, in their church because they haven't caught on yet exactly what it is that God's trying to do. I feel like we're probably a little bit further down the track as a church and we've kind of got a bit of an idea of where we're heading and, and what God's doing. And it's been because we've, one, had a lead pastor that's very, uh, he's been very discerning and very open to what God wanted to do and not scared to make changes or try something. And this is definitely the season to try something with God, try something new, even in your life. If some, just try something new. Do something different. This is the season where God, I feel like without doubt that God is just, is just ready to try new things, to do new things in our world. But as, you know, like, I don't know where I was going with that. To walk in the way of love. Paul says um, in Corinthians, he says, it's the most excellent way. It's the most excellent way. Love. Above everything else, love is the most excellent way to walk in this Christian faith as a disciple. We will be known by how we love people and especially how we love one another as believers. It's so important. If we want to be a church that reaches the world, reaches people that don't know Jesus, we first need to sort out our stuff to make sure that we're loving one another properly and correctly on how God is instructing us. But what do you do in that situation? What do you do when... When people are not making love, they're breaking love. 
What do we do about that? How do we, what do we do when, when our experience of love has been a broken love, where it was meant to be something beautiful, it was meant to be something amazing, it was meant to be something, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That's not the word I'm looking for. But it's meant to be something that binds us together, that we're connected in, but yet that's been broken. You know, I don't know how many people I've sat with that are, especially over the last few years, probably the last three years, that have gone through trauma in that way in churches or in Christian relationships and have been broken by love. And we can find ourselves in that place of brokenness, not knowing how to fix it. How, do, how does that get restored? How do we, how can we change it? And like I said, sometimes it's not about so much about the restoration of a relationship because that relationship may not be healthy going forward anyway. But we do need to resolve it in here. It needs to be resolved. Mum, wake up. <laughs> Don't worry, who's next? <laughs> How do we restore what the devil's tried to destroy. Because there's a way forward, right? The Bible teaches us as Christians, as, as disciples, we have everything we need to be able to restore this and re fix this problem in the inside of us. And I, I know there are some relationships you can't, but most relationships you're going, you're going to be able to. Most relationships you're going to be able to. If you come to Revelation... And there's a lot we could go into in this, all right? There's a lot we could cover, but we don't have the time to cover it today. But I wanted to just look at this in Revelation 2 because I, I think this could be key to us and could help us start the journey, okay? This, this will help us get on the right path. It may not be the entirety of what we're going to need to do, but it's going to get us heading in the right direction. And so in uh, chapter 2, we see there's this letter to the church of Ephesus, right? And it says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not gone gone weary. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys have done a great job. I mean, this is what he's saying. You guys are doing, you've done really, really well. Like, excellent. Some of this stuff, you've been discerning, you've been doing, you know, the, the work of the ministry, you've been out there and, and you've been making it happen and, and, you, and, and you're not growing weary in that effort. You haven't lost the, the mojo, if you like, on the inside to want to do things like that. But he says, he says this, yet I hold this against you. And this is Jesus talking. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. And this is, the th this is the sad truth about us as Christians, is we can be doing great things for God. We can be achieving great stuff, but lost that love and feeling. Yes, I've watched Top Gun lately, right? We've lost that thing on the inside of us 
to love people, to love the church, to love God, to love. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you're doing great, but there's just this, this, this one little thing under the surface that we need to talk about. And it's how you love. That, that love you had in the beginning, you know how when you first become a believer and you just, you just loved everybody. I mean, oh, I love you. I don't even know who you are. This is my you know, second time in church. I got saved last week, but I love you, Zoe. You're amazing. I love you, Joe. Oh, have you heard about Jesus? And we're just, we're just running around telling everybody about our story and how God has impacted our life and how much we love people and we love people. Last week when I wasn't saved, hated them. Couldn't stand people. That's what I was like. Couldn't stand kids. Couldn't stand youth. That next week later, I was in youth ministry and I was helping out and I was doing this, becoming youth pastor guy because I just loved them all. But what happens when that love is broken? Because that's how you get to this point in Ephesus, in this, in this letter to the Ephesus church. Something took place, something happened for them to lose that loving feeling, to lose that love that they had, that decision to live and lead out of love in their life. And Jesus gives them one thing. He says, repent and do the things you did in the beginning. Repent and do the things you did at first. What's he saying? Turn to me. Talk to me about it. Repent of that letting go of love, right? And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. No one can force you to stop loving. No matter what they do, Love is a choice more than the emotion. And of course the emotion comes, but often it comes after we make a decision to love somebody. And he says, just, this will get us on the right path, right? Just repent. Make sure in your heart, have the conversation with God, just like David did. Lord, search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way within me and lead me on the path of everlasting. So he goes, first thing, first thing, come to me and let's sort out if there's anything there. And I'm not saying everybody's got something there. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is we need to check our own hearts and we need to ask God to help us in that, to face those things and see the faults that we have and then come to God and sort that out. And that's gonna be a good first step in the journey of rediscovering that love that we're meant to have had in the beginning. Now, does that mean the other person's off the hook? Of course not. You know what? God is gonna deal with those people, but that's God's deal. Now, of course, there are some things that may have taken place that, that do uh, require us to, to pursue some kind of legal situation in that thing, if it's some kind of abuse or, or whatever. Of course, I'm not saying we don't address the things that they need to be held accountable in, but if it's purely that it's a fractured relationship and, 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 but there's no actual opportunity for restoration, that that person doesn't have anything to do with it or it's completely unhealthy for you to go back into that environment, God will have His way and we'll do what he will do. But we're actually told to pray for them, to pray for them and ask God to be in their world. Ask God to help them. But in the same breath, we're to pray to God and say, God, help us. Help me be healed. 
Help me be restored. Help me to be able to let go of this. Help me to release them from whatever debt I think they owe me. Help me to let go of this offence. Lord, help me and to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for holding the offence in my heart. In a perfect world, every relationship would be restored. Every relationship. But we don't live in a perfect world. So often all we can do is work with what we've got in our hands, with what God has given us. And I believe without doubt, whether the relationship actually ever gets restored or not, if you go through that, that process of coming to Jesus and repenting, asking him for help and, and releasing that person, like really just letting, Lord, let it, and, and look, it's not going to happen in one moment. Often it doesn't. Sometimes people get, you know, God will do a great thing and bang, all of a sudden it's all changed. But often, more often than not, it's a process of letting go. So I get offended at Joe and I get cranky. And I walk away from Joe because he said something to me. He did, he did this or he did that. And then I get home and I start to pray and the Holy Spirit convicts me. You need to forgive him. First time I pray, I don't do it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm rightfully offended. I'm in the right here. He needs to say sorry. Next time I pray, you need to forgive him. Oh, but you know, Lord, no, 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 you need to forgive. I've had these conversations with God. Oh, okay, God, okay, I forgive him, whatever. Whatever, I forgive him. I see Joe, I get all angry on the inside and I want to punch him in the face. Guess what? I haven't fully forgiven him yet. I need to go back. Start to pray again. God goes, you need to forgive him. I've already forgiven him. No, you haven't. Okay, God. Okay, God, I forgive him. I feel a little bit better about the situation. I go back, I see Joe next week at church. I'm okay because he's got this nice lady next to him. So she's really not. So I focus my attention here. And every time I turn my head, I see Joe and oh. And then he just speaks anything. And I twist it. What did he mean by that? What did he say that for? Hey, we all know, right? We all know because we've all been there. So I go back and I'm praying again this week and, oh Lord, bless my life, my family. And God goes, let's put a pin in that. How about Joe? What about him, Lord? Forgive Joe. I have forgiven him. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. No, I haven't. No, yeah, I haven't. No, you haven't. Who's ever had the argument? Right, God, you're wrong, I'm right. And then I might read some scripture and I come across this thing as I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had in the beginning. And all of a sudden God can just penetrate me. And I go, Lord, I need to forgive Joe. And he goes, yeah, I've been telling you for weeks now. Actually, it's been 34 weeks, six hours, 12 minutes, 34 seconds, 35 seconds, and so I see Joe and I actually never say to him, I forgive you. I may never say to him, I forgive you, Joe. Joe may never have known that he actually offended me in the first place. So over here, I go, God, I've got to forgive Joe. Lord, I forgive Joe. Father, I release him from 
any debt that I feel like he owes me. Father, I release that offence. I choose today, Lord, to not be offended any longer. And then I see Joe and I still get a little bit of a thing here. But I've started the real journey of repentance and forgiveness. And it takes time. It takes time. But one day I see Joe in church and I don't feel that thing anymore in here. Do we know what that is? Have you, you know that? Have you felt that before when somebody, and it's like this, it's just this congestion. It's like a, I don't know how to put a word on it. It's not butterflies. It's not like excitement. It's like this anger ball or something. And it sits right here in the chest. And it's when that is gone, you know the work of forgiveness has fully come around to full circle. But you've got to understand it's, it's a process. It's, not, it's hardly ever instantaneous. Most things with God are not instantaneous. Most things are a process of walking the journey of forgiving Joe. You can be on that journey too every time you see Joe. <laughs> Joe's, no, look, Joe's one of those guys, he's too hard to get offended at because he's such a great guy and he's doing such a phenomenal job of our youth. And uh, we've got great young, young people in the church because of you, mate. So you're just my illustration today. Because <laughs> I can't pick on my wife and I've already said something wrong to my mum. Like. <laughs> so I hope the musos come. So I, I, I truly believe with my whole heart that freedom starts here in how we choose to love, how we choose to love others. And I believe in my whole heart that this new church, us, the way God's doing things now, we need to be able to be robust enough to have this conversation even if it makes you uncomfortable. I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor if I wasn't challenging you in some way, shape or form, right? I wouldn't be honouring the pulpit if I didn't preach what I felt like God wants to bring correction to in our lives. And often, and more often than not, you need to know it starts in me first. Long before I preach to us, Often, more often than not, God is preaching to me, challenging me to change something. And for me, the best messages I love to preach are the ones that challenge me the most when I'm preaching them. So you don't see the irk factors in me when I say certain things because I know my life and things what I need to repair. And, uh, you know, nothing major. I haven't murdered anyone or anything, but... But there's definitely relationships as I'm preaching this, God's bringing things to mind. And I have to do a mental, okay, Lord, let me finish this, then I'll get to that. Because why? Because I'm just like you. We're the same. I don't have any special connection you don't have. And I don't have any special shield that stops me from offending people or, or people offending me. We all deal with this stuff. But I believe God wants us to be mature enough to use the resources He's given us to get free from offence, to get free from bitterness, 
and to move forward in our life in loving relationships, to love again in church, to love Christians again. Yes, that last Christian or that last batch of Christians, yet maybe they did hurt you and you know what? Terrible. They shouldn't have done it. It shouldn't have happened. But would you dare to love again? Would you dare to come to Christ and say, Lord, help me to love again. Help me to walk in that most excellent way. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.